going to turn your Bibles. We'll be in Exodus here, 22, 23, I believe. Yeah, 23. All right. And we'll pray and we'll get started here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to dive into it together tonight. We know there's a lot of people out with the flu, and we pray that you'd help them and minister to them and help them to recover fully and, and, and be able to get back in fellowship again. And um, We just thank you for these great bodies you've given us, these immune systems and things that help fight all this stuff off. And although we ask for healing and pray for it, we know that um, you just have designed us uh, for our environments and, and uh, what, a, what a marvelous work we are as we think about this Sunday and life chain and how you've knit us together in our mother's womb and uh, we celebrate that life this Sunday. Um, we pray for all those that are sick, for those who are down and out and pray that you bring them to full health, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Life chain this Sunday, I guess I missed a flyer. They must have sent it out and I threw it away or something. I get a lot of garbage here. Um, and it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between something you need to read and something that's a waste of time. So that's this Sunday from 2 to 3 um, out at, uh, we meet at the courthouse at 145 this Sunday and uh, get our signs and all. And you stand in silent protest against the, uh, against infanticide in our country, uh, abortion. And um, and we stand there for an hour quietly praying. And I'm, I'm sure it might be a little more ruckus this year, I'm hoping. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So join us for that if you want to meet us out there at the Nottaway County Courthouse at 145. We'll start off with prayer, get our signs, and we'll go ahead and stand. Usually from about 1st Street to 7th Street, we stand. So, uh, And then we space out about 15 to 20 feet um, and, and hold our signs in quietly and, and, and just seek the Lord for prayer and for, um, for Him to intervene on behalf of our country. So that'll be coming up um, this Sunday. Uh, Sign-up sheet for treats, put those out there for Sundays. I think we had one Sunday where everybody brought snacks, and they said, well, I'm not bringing them next week, and then next week nobody brought snacks. So we got ourselves into a funny cycle there. So we're kind of organized now. We got a piece of paper out there when you can put your name on it and say, I'm bringing snacks, and or I'm not bringing snacks or whatever. And so that's going to be there. And then I don't have the sign-up sheet yet, but this Sunday there'll be a sign-up for the Harvest Party. That's October 31st, uh, starting at 3 p.m., and we'll go till 9 p.m. as usual. Um, we've got all the inflatables uh, organized and paid for. Hopefully, they'll show up this year and, and install them. Last year, they canceled on us because they thought we were going to get snow, and we never got it. And this year, they assured me we're setting up no matter what. So we'll have all the good inflatables for all the kids um, and all the fun and hot dogs and soup. So all that sign-up sheets, those will all be out there this Sunday if you want to help out. Um, sometimes that's a great way to serve. If you can't serve on a regular weekly or monthly basis here at the church, we have special events like this where you can sign up. And it's just a one-time deal. You stand at the bounce house for a couple hours and keep the kids safe, and then and then you're off duty so to enjoy the, the rest of the evening. So anyway, that'll be coming up October 31st. All right, chapter 23. Excellent chapter. Oh, my goodness. I just loved it. Um, as I was studying and preparing and, and getting my notes together, there were too many notes. And, and, and Aaron will look, he's got the cross-reference as I send them to him to go ahead and put up on the screen when he gets a chance and all. And, and they're like whole chapters of cross-references, you know, because it's just so, um, the, the subjects in this chapter 23 permeate Scripture. And so it's hard to just focus in on a few areas, but um, it's just amazing. Um, stuff that we should know. But God sees fit to take the time to tell his people Israel, to let them know, I'm not going to assume that you know this stuff. I'm going to write it down for you to know. And that's really what the first five books of the Bible are. How everything started, Genesis, um, the, the nation of Israel leaving and becoming a nation, and what it looks like to be a nation under God's control, under God's authority. Um, and it's just basic human stuff. I mean, it, it literally is the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them do unto you. But he gets specific in some areas, and that's what we talked about last week. Just personal responsibility. It's your stuff. You're responsible for your stuff. And if your stuff does damage to somebody else's stuff, you're responsible for the damn, you know, basic stuff that we should know. But God sees fit to write it down for us in case we, well, somehow or another try to justify. And he says that in this chapter. I don't justify the wicked. 
And sometimes we can try to do that. We can justify sin in our lives. And make no mistake about it, sin is wickedness. Don't want to justify the wicked. I don't want to justify. I want to call it what it is. I want to call sin what it is. And I want to, well, I want to change. I want to be different. So he writes that down. So we've got a bunch of stuff here. Some rules, some regulations, um, some feasts that we talk about that really foreshadow Jesus. And then the last half of the chapter is about uh, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus in the Old Testament. So it's really good stuff. Verse 1. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in any dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. That's our first break. A lot there, but the one that spoke out the most to me was not to circulate a false report. You're not supposed to lie about people. You're not supposed to gossip. And that's the easy uh, way to teach that text, but there's so much more there. To circulate a false report is to be a false witness against somebody, like in a court of law, to actually stand up and say you saw, saw something that you didn't see, just because you think they might be guilty. You think they're probably that kind of person that would do that. And there's several scriptures that really spoke to my heart about us not being false witnesses. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ, and we're called to not bear false witness against him or about him. We have to be careful what we say about Jesus to this world. I'm called to be a witness of Jesus, to tell the world about him, and I'm to tell the truth about him, not what's popular, not what I think. I can only tell what I know to be true about Jesus, and if I say anything else about him that's not true, I have or false witness against Jesus. The first verse here is Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Jesus calls us to this by the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're called to do. I, Paul says a couple times he's called to convince, you know, to convince people. But for the most part, my job is to, to testify as a witness of what Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he said about himself. I'm here to simply testify and tell the truth. I can't go beyond what's written. I can't go beyond what I know to be true about Jesus Christ. If I do, well, I'm adding to my testimony and we know that in a court of law, don't add to your testimony. Just tell us what you saw when the car hit the other car. Tell us what you saw when that happened or this happened. I don't want you to guess. I don't want you to make any assumptions. I want you to simply say what you know. And we're called to be witnesses. Don't circulate a false report, especially about Jesus. We can circulate a false witness in such a way that it ascribes a false character to Jesus. Characteristics of Christ are laid out. He tells us who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like. And when I say that I think that Jesus is like this or would say this or does, but I don't have any scripture to back it up, and that's not something I've witnessed about him, that's not something he's told me about himself, that I'm bearing false witness about Christ. This goes much further than me just telling the truth about my own experience with Jesus. It has to do with knowing God's word knowing the truth about the God that we serve and not going beyond what we know. There's a lot of churches that were started by great men and women of God that loved him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength that would never attend those same churches today because they've changed so much from what they had started as. They've gotten rid of Scripture. They've removed parts of the Word of God, and, and they say, well, that God's not like this. He's not like that. They're literally bearing false witness against Jesus Christ now. And I have to be careful because the, the church is, is the sum of its parts. And each and every one of us is the church of God. And we have to be very careful how we bear witness to this world about him. I have to tell the truth about him, regardless of how it's received. Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 through 61. Now the chief priest... The elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to bat to death. 
but found none. So though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, he actually said something like that. He said, destroy this temple in three days, and then I will raise it up again. And so they took what they heard about Jesus, twisted it just enough to make it sound like it was a terroristic threat against the temple of God. And they said, good enough. We heard that he did this. We heard he was going to do it. And upon those two witnesses, they were able to convict Jesus and put him to death. This is Jesus. How easy is it for us to twist something that we've read and maybe change the scripture just enough to fit what someone might want to hear, which is exactly what happened with these false witnesses. I know what you want to hear. I know you want to put him in jail. Hmm. Well, I did hear him say he was going to destroy the temple. You did? Well, everybody knew he wasn't talking literally. They all knew he was talking about his body. They all knew that he was the, you know, they all knew, but well, this will work. We have people doing that today in the church with God's word, twisting it, changing it just enough because he knows that's what people want to hear, but they're bearing false witness against Jesus. That's not what he said. That's not what he meant. See, memorizing a passage is fine, and I understand about hiding God's word in our hearts, and we need to do that, but let's make sure that we understand what he means in that verse that I've hidden in my heart so that I don't just quote this one verse to the exclusion of all the other verses that qualify and quantify that truth in the Bible. I need to know the subject matter of that verse so that I don't misconstrue that or change that just enough. Or if I just don't understand it, maybe I don't even know I'm bearing false witness about God. But I've taken that verse and I've, I've heard it so many times, it just must be true. And I tell other people about it, but I'm bearing false witness. We have to be careful about bearing false witness against him. Otherwise, we'll ascribe characteristics to Jesus that aren't his, and he gets a bad name for my testimony or my witness against him. It's a big deal. It's important. Doctrine relies on a true witness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 16, Paul warns about having a bad witness. He says this, he says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead, if, if in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. That's a, it's, a, it's the reverse but he's saying, if, if, if we're telling you, and you, you guys, if, if, if they're telling you, that's what Paul's concern was, if these preachers are coming into the Corinthian church and telling you that dead people don't rise again, which is a doctrine within the church in different groups, then that means Christ didn't rise. That means that I'm a false witness, and it changes everything. See, I, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not optional for the Christian it's essential for the Christian. You have to believe that or you're bearing false witness against God because God says that he raised him up from the dead. Jesus says, I'm going to raise myself up from the dead. These aren't options that we can choose or throw out along with many, many other characteristics of Christ. There are a lot of sins that aren't called sins today anymore in the church because it's uncomfortable to talk about them as sin. We don't believe that sin or I can't say that sin because, I mean, they'll, they'll destroy my car. They'll, they'll, they'll stone me to death if I say that's actually sin. But if I don't bear witness of what Christ said about that subject matter, whatever that may be, I don't even need to pick it. We've all got them in our minds. If I don't bear true witness to what Christ said about those things, I'm bearing false witness about Jesus. Sometimes, guys, to say the truth about the Lord, you will stand alone, and you need to be willing to stand alone. It's easy in a group like this. We all kind of know what we all believe. We all kind of understand where Calvary stands on certain things. And I tell you what, some of the things that are taught here can't be taught in a couple churches in town because they would not put up with that. They wouldn't listen to that. They'd stop their ears. They'd throw you out if you were to share this stuff because they bear false witness. And I'm not, 
trying to slam other churches. I'm saying it's a subtle thing that creeps in and it started off solid, but well, we're not so sure we want to talk that loudly about that subject. So we're going to push that under the rug and we're just going to focus on the this part of the Bible. And then, and then we're going to, well, that's a little controversial. And pretty soon you find yourself and you don't even, you don't even look like the book of Acts anymore. And that's really come up a lot in my study time. The book of Acts is normal Christianity. It's not extreme. It's not um, unusual. It's not necessarily supernatural. That's, that's just what Christianity is supposed to look like in every one of us. Paul, Peter, James, John, Luke, all the writers, all of these guys in the New Testament, all the people that they spoke of in the New Testament, all these people, that was normal worship of Jesus. And they stood alone oftentimes, and they got beat a lot, and most of them were martyred. Okay, so that's normal. We have to be careful that we don't bear false witness. Finally, Revelation 11, just so we understand, it isn't at the beginning that it was rough being a Christian. It's a rough being a Christian all the way to the end. Revelation 11 talks about the two witnesses during the great tribulation period. God is going to set up two witnesses. This is what we're talking about. Don't bear false witness. Well, they're not going to. They're going to say the truth, and the entire world will want them dead. Two people standing, I don't know if they're back to back or what, I guess that's the image I get that there's these just these two old prophet guys standing there telling the truth, whether anybody wants to hear it or not, testifying of Jesus. And it's important that they tell the truth regardless of how it's received. Well, boy, you're driving a lot of people away from the church talking like that, you two prophets. They don't care. They will not bear false witness against the Lord. That's what they're there to do. That's what you're here to do. That's what I'm here to do, is to bear true witness to Jesus Christ, regardless of how, how people feel about it. You have to tell the truth. These two witnesses, it's a long chapter. I don't want to read all of it, but it describes what's going to happen. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, John says. He's the writer of Revelation, receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. And an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So three and a half years, these guys are going to testify of Jesus. They're going to prophesy about him. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, and everybody wants to harm them, by the way, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. <laughs> there are no conscientious objectors when it comes to Christianity. I hope we all realize that. I'm getting a little tired of hearing this on posts and from emails of people saying, God's still on the throne. Of course he's still on the throne. Do you think that I need to hear that or that as Christians we need to hear that? Of course he is. But let that not be a, a way of us being lazy about our Christianity. Of course he's still on the throne. Nobody doubts that. But it doesn't mean we don't occupy till it comes. We pray the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't mean we wish it to happen. Gosh, I hope. No, it means we do it. I am like Christ here on earth. I will do his will on this earth. I hope everybody does. They probably won't, but that's my job. There's no conscientious objectors. We don't sit back and let the war happen and just, well, we just hope it all works out. Of course he's on the throne. But my king is on the throne, and he's called me his ambassador here on earth, which means I best be representing him. Regardless, these two witnesses are his representatives. Now, the fire's coming out. They're devouring their enemies, and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. 
just to get the point across that their testimony is true. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Oh, hold on. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. With what? Yeah, the plagues, but that's not what they're upset about. What caused everybody to hate these two prophets was one thing. They told the truth about Jesus Christ, and they were hated, and they were tried to be destroyed, and these guys defended themselves. There would be no fire coming out of their mouths. There would be no destruction. There would be rain for everybody if everybody believed the truth, but they would not believe the truth. They're going to make it a holiday and turn it into a time of not talk about it, no such thing as Christmas anymore because these guys testify of the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas has changed forever. No Christmas celebrated at this time. We celebrate the death of the two prophets. I don't know what they're going to call it, but they're going to try to call it something. They're going to send gifts to one another because these two prophets are dead. Now, after three and a half days, the breath of life of God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Raised from the dead. So it all ends well, but not for them. And it goes on to describe it. Guys, <laughs> that's a lot, isn't it, for the first verse of our Bible study tonight? But I've always assumed that it's just about gossip. You know, don't be saying bad stuff about people at church. Don't forget to be honest, okay? When God calls me a witness and then tells me not to bear false witness, that means I better know what I'm telling people about him is true and that I can't tell them anything that isn't true about him, which means we're not going to be popular. You're not going to be popular, especially as we get closer to his return. You can do it in love, and there's a way to do it, of course, but make no mistake about it, the truth has to be told about him. It goes on to describe, after you don't bear this false witness and circulate a false report, don't put your hand with the wicked to be unrighteous, to be an unrighteous witness. Don't get into that kind of mindset. Well, it's all going to work out for the best. The ends justify the means. No. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Boy, is that not relevant today. What was mostly peaceful protest, as soon as they throw a brick, you need to go home. You know, I told my kids that all the time. If, if, Tanner McKinney starts throwing bricks at windows. You just come home right away. You girls, get out of this presence. And Tanner probably got told the same thing about Anna. If Anna starts throwing bricks through windows, you come home. Do not follow the crowd to do evil. You shall testify in a dispute. So or you shall, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside many after pervert justice. Don't want to pervert the justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, he's going to get the rich man later, but right now, he's, and we don't think about that. You always think about, oh, the rich, man, there's always two justice system, two-tiered level, you know, rich always get, but not always. Sometimes people look at poor people and say, well, of course they did that. Well, because they needed or because they had a bad childhood or because this or that. Mm -mm. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute, treat him equally. That's why the whole symbol of justice with the balance of scales, the lady is blindfolded because she's not supposed to see a difference. It's two people. We agree they're people, but as far as anything else goes to, to distinguish between the two, no, make no distinct, do not distinguish between the two. Poor, rich, makes no difference. Gender, color, whatever it is, it needs to be truth. Truth, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, if you meet your enemy's ox, your enemy's ox, not even your neighbor's, just your enemy, or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. 
Why does he want us to do that? Because it's against our character. It's against what we normally would do in the flesh. In our flesh, we'd, we'd laugh, we'd mock, perhaps. I hope not, but as Christians, we're called to, we're called to manifest the supernatural. I'll say that again. As Christians, we're called to manifest the supernatural. And that is supernatural to do something against normal human nature. Well, they deserve it. That's what you get for being evil to me. That's what happens. See, you lose your donkey. No, bring the donkey back to the guy. Yeah, look at that. Dog's lost. You're never going to see his dog. Get the dog. Take the dog back to your enemy. Because in doing so, we, we, we manifest something that's just, that's out of character. That's not what normal people do. Why are you doing this? I'm glad you asked. And Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 tells us, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Why? Because that's not what people do. That's what God does. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Why? Because that's not what people do. That's what God does. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I think that's our biggest hang-up is we just don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look like suckers, someone who's been taken advantage of. We don't want to have injustice done to us. We want justice. We want it served. We want everybody to know they were wrong. It doesn't know it isn't okay for them to think they're innocent and, and, and that they've been wrongly accused. We want them to know that they're wrong. We want them to know that they've done these things to us. And God says, I know. I know all about that. I'm your rewarder. I'll take care of that stuff. What I want you to do is I want you as my ambassadors to my kingdom, Jesus says, and I'm still on the throne. I want you to represent me down there. I want you to do things that's, well, that's not like the world, but like my kingdom. They've seen the worldly kingdom. They've seen the human kingdom, the humanistic side of things. They understand what we're capable of as sinners. What I want them to see is what I'm capable of. And that's our responsibility to show that keeping coals the entire chapter of Matthew 5, which I won't read to you, but it starts off with the Beatitudes and goes on from there. He says, that, I mean, the whole chapter Jesus teaches, I want you to be, I don't want you to be mere men. I want you to be supernatural. I want you to do the things that I would do on this earth. I want you to be filled with my spirit, not the spirit of man. That's the whole point to manifest the supernatural. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which this world so desperately needs, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This fruit is not common among men. It's a supernatural phenomenon that can only come from a God who indwells a believer. I want you to manifest that. So when you see your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Not kind of, not think, don't have to talk yourself into it. Of course you will. And your enemy says, what are you doing? Your donkey was running away. I thought you'd want it back, Bob. You know, whatever disagreements we have, you still need your donkey there. Thanks for bringing back my donkey. No problem. I'm sorry that I knocked your fence down with my tractor. It's okay. It works. Things get better. Relationships can get healed, or at least there's opportunity for it. If you see the donkey who hates you lying under its burden, well, first of all, don't be mean to the donkey. Let the donkey get up, take off its heavy burden. Be least kind to the animal, but also to help your enemy. And it says there specifically, help him with it. Help him with it. Verse 6, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Don't just keep yourself from a false matter. Keep yourself far from it. I don't even want to look like I'm associated with that. I don't want to even come close to that. I want to be far away from it. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous. It's amazing we have to say that out loud, but don't kill innocent people or the righteous. And look what he says, therefore, I will not justify the wicked. 
Man, I have to be careful that I don't justify the wicked. Well, you know, that kid had a rough life. Of course he went down that road. Of course he was like this or that. No, no, it's his call. It's his choice. He made decisions. All of us are where we are because of the decisions we made. I'm not bound to make the same mistakes my parents did or that relatives did or whatever somebody did to me. No, I am responsible for my decisions and for my actions. And we need to hold people responsible for their decisions and for their actions. I will not justify the wicked. And you shall not take you, you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Don't be trying to bribe people and don't take any bribes from people. Also, you shall not oppress the stra- a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Don't get this idea that just because you're Israeli and they're Egyptian, that you can treat this Egyptian person any differently than you would anybody else in a court of law or in life in general. Just because they're a stranger, they're a foreigner, they're not from your country, they're not from a... No way. Not allowed by God. Every single person on the face of the earth is a potential child of God, and we need to treat them as such. I say potential because we're adopted into God's family. It's not automatic. We're adopted Everybody needs to be treated absolutely equally. You can see how God's heart on this matter. Don't forget, you were strangers once. In other words, don't you want to be treated? Wouldn't you have liked to have been treated better than the way you were treated as a stranger? Well, yeah, I guess so. Well, then good. Remember that time. And God will give us that in our lifetimes. He'll put us through some things so that we remember what it was like to be in that situation or in that person's shoes, you know. I haven't been in everybody's shoes, nor do I. I don't claim that I have. But the shoes that I've had to walk in, the experiences that I've walked in in my life, I can certainly identify with people walking in those same circumstances a little bit better maybe than someone who hasn't. And we all, as a body of Christ, have gone through different things, rougher things than others, different experiences, but the body of Christ can minister to one another because we've all gone through, somebody's gone through it. Before you're not the first person to lose a parent. You're not the first person to lose a child. You're not the first person to go through this kind or that kind of situation. Someone's gone through it, and a believer's been able to overcome in it, and we can minister to one another. And so we're called to that. So don't forget you were strangers. Now, the law of Sabbath. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. We've gone through this on Sunday morning a little bit. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, and you, that your ox and your donkey may rest, the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Very similar to what we talked about earlier where They need that Sabbath. They need that day off. And if you don't take the day off, that means everybody that you come in contact with in your work can't take a day off either. Your family members, people at Casey's, different people, they all have to be there, you know, to make sure that you're taken care of. But if you're not there, (laughs) you know, they, they might be able to take that day off. I love the fact that he has them take a whole year off. Can you imagine Every seventh year, you just take off. Now, see, I kind of, I rationalize this in my mind. I'm like, well, certainly they just rotated the crop. So, like, if they had 70 acres, they'd take 10 acres out of rotation. So, they're working all the time. They're just letting that 10 acres go fallow, and that's where the people can come eat. And maybe they did. Or maybe it's exactly what it says, and they actually took a year off. The seventh year, everybody just stayed home in their pajamas. Can you imagine? Imagine coming to work on Monday after taking a year off. It's hard enough to get back in after taking a weekend off, but after a year off, I really don't want you any more coffee, Bob. I mean, I got like a lot of coffee. I have 365 in my pajamas. I love it. I don't think we realize how much time off God gave us, prescribed for us to take off. We need that much rest. This world has a lot of work for us to do and will cause us to toil when we don't even need to toil. And God says, I need you to take some time. One day a week for sure. And then every seven years, take that seventh year off. All right. 
Now I'm going to throw in some feasts too. Well, we haven't got there yet, but God's all into that. I want you to enjoy your life. Don't forget there's life. Not just work, not just saving, not just paying bills, but remember there's life to have. That we pay the bills so that we can drive the car to a different location to spend time someplace else, to visit people, to sit down and talk, to play a board game, you know, to go camping. Remember that. Take that time off so that everybody else can take that time off too. Verse 13, and in all that I have said to you, be circumspect. What a great word. And make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Don't talk about other gods at all. Walk circumspectly. Circumspect. Uh, There's only one other time in the Bible it's used. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, but it helps us get an understanding. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk like eternity's at stake. Walk circumspectly. Think about your future. Think about what I'm doing today and how it affects eternity, not just tomorrow or the next week or the next month, but walk circumspectly like eternity depends upon it. You know, he wants them to walk that way. So don't even talk about other gods. I don't even want to hear them named among you. Um, Steer clear of that. Now, um, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. There's three different feasts. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, which is right after Passover, they would have seven days of eating unleavened bread. I want you to do that um, as I commanded you at the time uh, appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. So make sure you're having that, that time of unleavened bread. I want you to remember that. Now that Unleavened bread is to remind us of Passover and how the sin of the world was taken away by Jesus, okay? The lamb that takes away the sin of the world, and then you eat unleavened bread. Leaven, yeast, represents sin. Leaven's the whole lump. We know all the passages. So I want you to have seven days of remembering that what the lamb did was take away the sin of the world, okay? Have that time. It's a little prophetic feast he wants them to have. And the feast of harvest after that. Um, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. That feast of harvest would take, take place 50 days later. It's the day of Pentecost. Um, the first time that Peter actually opens his mouth and 3,000 people get saved. A harvest happens, okay? Um, I want you to have that and celebrate that time. He is talking about um, tithing and, and making sure that God, uh, that you, you know, show God, thank you for the, the provision that you've given me also. But really, prophetically, he's talking about that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts chapter 2, um, 50 days later. And so remember that time. Um, it shows that there's a harvest. And then also, um, after that, there's a, th- there's a third feast, um, the, the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Now, that sounds a lot like harvest, doesn't it? We are gathering in. What's the difference between these two? Well, this is the fruit. Well, grain can be considered fruit and all that. But we think that he's talking about the rapture here. It's possible. I can't be dogmatic about it. We don't know for sure. It doesn't make a direct correlation. But if these are prophetic feasts, the first one being the Passover land taking over the sin of the, taking away the sin of the world, the second one being the Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, and the third one being the ingathering, the bringing in, bringing in the, the harvest or the fruit of his, of the, you know, possibly that's what it is. So. Um, anyway, that's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a different kind of a thing where they'd spend the, spend the night out, outside or spend a week outside. Um, anyway, those are the three feasts that I want you to do. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. I want you to take the time off. I want you to come and worship, and I want you to do it together. I want you to remember these three things. Three times a year, required feasts. Not for us today. We believe Jesus has fulfilled at least two of these for sure. The third one probably coming up pretty soon, but we'll see. Um, anyway, no, not going to put a date or a time on it, but possibly. You shall offer. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land shall you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil the young goat in its mother's milk. This doesn't even fit, does it? 
It's just, it's just bizarre. It seems weird unless you understand. He's talking about the fertility rite of the Canaanites. You're going to come into the land, and the Canaanites would do this as a fertility rite. Boil the kid's milk and the mother, and when you drink it, you're going to have babies. It's just kind of a weird thing that they would do. Man, if we mess this up. I don't say we, but if you go to Israel right now and you try to order a cheeseburger, you can't because of this verse right here. You will never have dairy and meat at a meal at the same time in Israel. It's not kosher because they've translated it to mean if I have cheese and that's dairy and it's milk and it happens to go in a burger or a patty, and if that patty was the calf and the cheese or the milk or the dairy that I'm drinking or eating or with this sour cream, whatever, came from the mother, I'm breaking this right here. Oy vey. Now we laugh, but this is what we do to God's word. See, 613 different laws in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Very clear, very simple. They mean what they say. They say what they mean. God is the same throughout the entire text of Scripture. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. You don't have to read into it. I give context. I give cross-references. You can pull it all together. You can understand it. We don't need anything else than other than the Bible right here. But they took this Torah and they made the Mish, uh, the, the Midrash which is a, an expository writing on all 613. And after they made the Midrash, they made the Mishnah, which is an even a more expounding upon those writings in the Midrash. I have to look at my notes. Midrash, because it gets so complicated. And after the Mishnah, they read the Gemara that describes the Mishnah, that describes the Midrash, Midrash that describes the Torah, until finally all those things together make up the Talmud. 22 volumes, it takes 22 volumes to, to cover what really God meant in the 613 laws that he wrote. Okay, I did a lot of research. You should applaud now for all that work that I did. 523 books, 22 volumes to get the Talmud, to get an understanding of what God meant by the law. How to fulfill the 613 in the Torah is made up in these 22 volume set. What, what are the, how are you going to ever? They have actual rabbis that are just, that's their only job is to come into the restaurant and to analyze, scan, and figure out is this kosher? Is it not? Do you have this? How is this cleaned? Where does the supplier get that from? Can, you, can they have them supplied on separate days? It is so complicated. It's so complicated. But we can do that. Jesus um, spent most of his career, his three and a half years of ministry, talking to them about this very problem that they had, where the traditions of men to, got to the place where they were actually overriding the laws of God. He says, no, I don't want to abolish the law, but I do just want the law. Your traditions that you've added to the law have actually nullified the law. I'll give you an example. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. There's the setup. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus, being God come in the flesh, is like, could you show me where that's written down? That we can't walk through this grain field and grab the grain and eat it? And where does it say that? You're threshing. Well, that's not in the Torah, but that's in the Midrub, and then the Mishnah, and then the Gemara, and then the Talmud. Oy vey, you know? Over and over again. But he said to them, have you not read which is a joke because that's all lawyers do is read. Have you not read that what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the actual showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but it was only for the priests? Or have you not read that in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? In other words, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but there the priests are working on the Sabbath. Jesus is calling them out on their ridiculous understanding of the law. You're interpreting it wrong. Let it interpret itself. Over and over again, he says this. 
Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, I wrote the law, Jesus says, calling him out on it. When we try to get um, a Supreme Court justice nominated, and then to go through it. What we're looking for as a country, regardless of the president, is a justice who's going to interpret the Constitution as it was intended, not added to, not interpret it the way. It's not a living document. It's how it was originally intended. That's what we want. It's no different. This is what Jesus is trying to get at. No, I wrote exactly what I meant. You guys have interpreted it wrong. And after years of interpreting people trying to please each other, rabbis trying to please their teachers and try to one-up the other guys in their class by interpreting it even more strictly than it was intended and over and over and over again, and, all, and Jesus shows up and he is, he's the writer of the original. And he's looking at him going, you guys don't understand what I wrote. You are so far from it. And because he says what's unpopular and is going against all this precedence, Jesus goes against all the precedence. No, no, that's not what it says. Well, that's how it's been interpreted all these years. Well, you've been wrong all these years. Jesus is a Supreme Court justice that would never get approved. The intent is far more important than what's been the precedence. What was the intent of the writer? And Jesus says that. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, it's been interpreted that you can't. Well, guess what he does? He said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him and how they might destroy him or kill him. He went against precedents. Mark chapter 7, verses 2 through 18, Jesus continues his <laughs> argument with these guys. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eating bread, or eat bread with, with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. These guys will find fault with anything. You didn't wash your hands correctly. What? Well, it's described here how we wash hands. There's a way they used to wash hands, up and then down, and then up and then down. They had a way of doing it, and the disciples weren't doing it right. They had to wash their hands in a special way, it says, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and, and couches, whatever that means. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This is how he talks to the current SCOTUS. <laughs> this is the Supreme Court of Israel right here. You're a bunch of hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You completely missed the point of what I was saying. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, you're teaching that like God said it when it just comes from your own mouth. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect 
through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Completely flipped their law on its head. Let me teach you a new law today, right now, right here, and Jesus can do that. It's not what goes into your mouth. Nothing goes into your mouth that's going to defile you. Nothing. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And if anybody can hear, let them hear. We are guaranteed the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is not hard to understand. And whether SCOTUS says it, I don't care who says it, when you say that you can take an innocent life, you are breaking the original intent of the law. You cannot commit abortion. You cannot kill babies. It's not right. Well, the precedents, Roe v. You're all wrong. You're absolutely wrong because you miss the original intent, life. If you can't have life, you can't have liberty, you can't have the pursuit of happiness. I know that's in the Declaration of Independence, not in the Constitution, but it goes all the way through. You can't have the freedom of speech. You can't have any of these things without life. Forget the precedents. You're wrong. They made a bad decision. We're not going to get through the rest of this chapter. It's already too late. That's a good place to stop. Lord, we thank you for letting us get as far as we did. So pertinent. All these things are so valuable to us in this day and age. Truth. It's just flat out, plain old, good old, beautiful truth that you've written down for us. We don't have to wonder how we should feel or how we should think about these things. We know how our Father in heaven feels about these things. You lay it out for us so simply, so clearly. Thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you continue to lead us and guide us into all truth and help us to be good, faithful witnesses of yours here on this earth. Lord, that we would stand up for truth and for righteousness, even if it means we stand alone. God, help us not to bear false witness against you anymore if we ever have, God. Help us to only say what we know to be true about you, what you've said about yourself, what you've testified about yourself. Lord, help us Help, let that be the only thing that comes off of our lips, Lord. Not our opinions or anything, just your truth, Lord. Bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless our kids. Bless the Sunday school teachers that took care of them. And help us to just be really good ambassadors for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.